What are we doing this morning? Where are we at with our messages? The Lord's Prayer. Where are we in the Lord's Prayer? Anyone? Let us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So I want to talk about delivering us from evil and that why Jesus would have considered that line to be a vital line to put into the, the Lord's Prayer. Last week we looked at um, lead us not into temptation and how we are prone toward darkness and we don't know what's around the corner and we ask God's protection. But what about deliver us from evil? Deliver us from evil. The funny thing happened to me when I was uh, meditating on this and I was sharing with my wife last night. Uh, evil, yeah, what is evil? I was asking her. And I was sharing some thoughts with her and she didn't quite get what I was saying because sometimes I like to, you know, meditate. Like, you know, you just... She didn't quite get what I was saying and, um, and she was running late to go to work that night, last night. And she got into the car and then as I'm reflecting thinking, what is, what is evil, you know? Um, how can I explain it? And it came to my head, like I thought, oh, I got it, I got it. And I ran to the car, and she was like running late, she was reversing out of the driveway. And I ran to the car, really excited, and she was reversing out, and I went, boom, 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 on, on the window. She jumped, right, startled by me. She pulled the window down, and she goes, what are you doing? because she thought she hit something. And I said to her, evil is more than a thought. Evil is more than a thought. She goes, what are you saying? I go, evil more than a thought. And she goes, I've got to go. <laughs> and she drove off. And as soon as she drove off, I sensed the neighbor's. On, on, the, on the footpath. And they would have heard, you're more evil than I thought. What are you doing? You're more evil than I thought. I've got to go. And I just walked back into the house. And they're thinking, and they're thinking, there they go again, these Christians. Is he, is he a pastor? Is, he, is that guy? But the reality is, what I was trying to communicate is, evil is more than a thought. Because sometimes, you know, when someone thinks something, you think, well, that's an evil thought, man. Don't think like that. That's evil, you know? But evil is more than a thought. It is. It's more than a thought. You can think evil, but evil is more than that. Evil is more than an action. You know, and you see on the news the, the, the amount of evil that surrounds us, like the massacre of innocent children and, and, and all the stuff that happens, and you look, that's so evil. But evil is more than an action. So what is evil? Evil, and this is extraordinary when Jesus told us to pray, deliver us from evil. Evil is a person. In fact, the translations, other translations like the NIV, it says, deliver us from the evil one. 
And I think that's pretty extraordinary because the Lord Jesus Christ opens up the prayer with our Father as the very peak and first and foremost words in that prayer. And then he's ending it with the evil one. So what he wants us to acknowledge is this. Firstly, when we come before God, we have a Father that we cry out to. But at the bottom, underlying our our life, is the evil one. And the reality is this, is that you can't live your Christian life not acknowledging or knowing just as much as you believe in God, you need to just as much believe in the devil. Because if you don't believe in the devil, it's like you're in a boxing ring fighting against Casper. You don't know where your hits are. You don't know where you're going to jab. And so every Christian has to acknowledge and believe that there is a devil. There is a devil. There's thoughts out there that they don't want you to believe there's a devil. Because if you believe in the devil, you're going to start learning a lot about your enemy. And when you know a lot about your enemy, you can actually fight properly. So when we pray the Lord's Prayer, and we pray, Lord, deliver us from evil, Jesus Christ is underpinning for us the fact that there is a devil And the most important phrase I reckon within that deliver us from evil is the word deliver. The word deliver. You know, like uh, the Holocaust, when the Jews, six million of them died. If I I was trying to solve the problem, you know, how am I going to deal with this? How am I going to get the Jews out, you know, and save them? If I thought to myself, their deliverance is about closing down the concentration camps because they're pretty evil. I don't think I'd succeed much. If I thought to myself, well, their deliverance is about um, uh, shooting off all the Nazi regime and, and destroying that. But unless I thought to myself, their deliverance is by kicking off Hitler, then I don't think I'd be much success in, in that fight. Hitler. If I got rid of Hitler, then I could probably set free. There's a man who basically went to church and uh, to a Bible study prayer night, and he would kneel down and he would pray and he would say, Lord, get rid of all the cobwebs in my life, every dark corner, all cobwebs, just wipe me clean. And then the next week he comes back and he prays the same prayer, Lord, the cobwebs, get rid of all the cobwebs in my life, you know. And then the next week he comes back again, Lord, those cobwebs, they dangle at every corner of my life. Get rid of these cobwebs. Well, one night he came and he, just before he was about to pray, the the lady that sat next to him in prayer looked at him and knew him. And just before he had a chance, she lifted up her voice and said, Lord God, I pray for my friend. Kill that spider. Kill that spider. And so when we say deliver us, not from evil, but deliver us from the evil one, the evil one. Why? I'll tell you why. Because Isaiah told us in chapter 14, verse 16 to 17, he says this, Isaiah 14, 16 to 17, those who see you will gaze at you. This is Isaiah talking to Lucifer, the devil. And consider you, they'll look at you and contemplate you, saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook the kingdoms? Him, verse 17, 
who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities. Now look at this line here. Who did not open the house of his prisoners. This is the description of the devil. I mean, even the word evil is embedded in his name. He doesn't open up the doors of his prisoners. If you are enclosed or trapped by the devil, you have no hope. There is nothing you can do. There is no physical means of, of, of escape that you could possibly muster up against the enemy, the devil. He does not let loose the doors. What that means is there's no negotiation with the devil. It's not like you can kind of work out a way how to get what you want, the desires and the lusts and all the sins, somehow through the back door of hell and then get out without kind of being burnt. It's not like somehow if you can negotiate a lifestyle or a habit of a pattern of, of, of sin and as long as I kind of do it my way, then I'm okay. I can kind of walk the edge. It's not like that. If you are ensnared by the devil, meaning that you are oppressed, meaning that you are uh, taken hostage and bound, you need to understand that he will not let you go. He's not going to let you go. He's not human like you and I where we can feel compassion. He's not human like you and I where we can offer a little bit of kindness. He is pure evil. He is evil. Just like God is love, Love and in him is no darkness. The devil is hate and in him is no light. He is evil completely. Just like when we say Christ is the the author and the finisher of our faith, the devil is the author and fulfiller of evil. There is absolutely in him no form of compromise when it comes to evil. That's the devil. And so for sure, we ought to be praying, Lord, deliver me from him. And, and, and God would have it that every Christian understands and every person knows that there needs to be a deliverance from the grip of the devil. You, could, you can judge it for yourselves in your own experience. Have you ever really tried to escape the grip of the enemy without a prayer? <laughs> have you ever tried by any means to kind of be free without a call to God. I remember we had a Bible study many, many years ago and the person that came to the Bible study was pressed hard, like he wanted to give his life to the Lord. I said, well, give your life to the Lord, mate. Give your life to the Lord. He goes, I so want to. I go, then why don't you? If you really want to, you, you can. He goes, I want to so bad. I go, well, do it. He goes, I just can't. I go, what is it? He goes, something's holding back my heart. So he, as much as he wanted in his heart and his mind to give his life to the Lord, there was something that was gripping his heart. And I said to him, well, you know what you've got to do? You've got to cry out to the Lord that he may break those fingers that clutch your heart. Because there's no means of you ever trying to break that yourself. And if you really want God to do that, he will do that. But the cry is to him. Because he will not release his prisoners. If you are in his prison. Listen, you're going to remain in his prison, a lifetime sentence into eternity, till you call upon the name of the Lord. Because the only way 
the fingers of, of the enemy, the arms are broken, is when you call upon the name of the Lord. That's your only way you fight against the battle against the enemy. And that's why you cry out to the Lord in your prayer. You say, Lord, deliver me from the evil one. He's come to seek, to kill, and to destroy me. I need your deliverance. This is what I find extraordinary when people say things like, well, what's the relevance of the Bible today? Well, you're still reading the Bible? I think, man, there's nothing more relevant than asking God deliverance from evil today. (laughs) What more relevance do you want than asking God deliver me from evil? Because we are surrounded by a host of demonic activity. And I know that kind of sounds funny when we talk about that because we watch so many horror movies and so much man-made imaginative film that once we talk about a spiritual battle that we we think of Star Wars. But that's another one of the devil's devices. People think when they don't believe in the devil that they've come to some revelation, but they don't understand that the reason why you don't believe in the devil is because the devil himself closed your eyes. Nothing new about that. So that's why Jesus says, when you pray, you've got to pray, Lord, deliver me from evil. Deliver me from the evil one. Because he is a lion that roams around your homes, your church, your friendships, your work, and he's looking to see who he may destroy, who he may devour. It is real. It is more real than you looking at the hand in front of your face. He's real. So, what's the good news? The good news is that does God hear you? If he told you to pray it, does he say to you to pray it so that you can just not receive? Or is he telling you to pray it because you need to, that I may perform and that I may do? How good is God? So what's the problem then? Those of you who are still chained in the grip of the enemy, why, why are you changed when Jesus himself said, pray deliverance and he'll deliver you? We live in a culture today where when, when I can't pray that individually, that prayer, deliver me from the evil one. I need to go to some kind of a guru, some kind of a healer, some kind of a... a, a, a when Jesus didn't say, go to... When, when, you, when you pray, at this point here, you stop and go find the local deliverer. That's what you do. He didn't say that. He's given you the authority to pray for deliverance. How, how good is that? He's given me within my life of prayer that I don't need to fear the enemy. In fact, the enemy fears me. The devil's like a lion without any teeth. He walks around with gums. Ah. When he he takes a bite, he just just gnaws at my hand. I don't get get hurt by it because I've been delivered. I want to share with you a very beautiful passage in in the book of Acts. So So you see how God delivers us from the evil one. Let's look at this, how Jesus opens up the door that the devil will not, never open. In Acts, chapter 12, verse 3 to 10. I find that, I, I'm excited, I find that when I get up here, uh, this is good news for me, isn't it? Like I find that if I'm in bondage, I don't need to be in bondage. If I'm in a chain, I don't need to be in a chain. And when I'm talking about, uh, uh, this is what I'm saying, evil is more than a thought or an action because, because evil can be a relationship. And that relationship can be beautiful and perfect, but it's still evil. 
Why? Because it keeps me chained to earth and not to the things that are eternal. It keeps me held back from throwing my life over to Jesus. That's evil. There's nothing more evil than unbelief. There's nothing more evil than the separation from God. And so look how God shows us in a picture, a beautiful picture here, a real account that took place in Acts with Peter, who was locked up in prison. And if we look carefully at this passage, there's more than just this account. This, this passage here is not just an event that took place. It's actually a painted portrayal of the freedom that belongs to every Christian. How God himself delivers anyone who's ensnared by the devil. This is not Peter's account. account. This is the Christian's account. And the early church were a representation of the Christians. If you study the book of Acts, you'll understand that there are characters in the book of Acts that are a portrayal of those who call themselves Christians, but they're not. Study them carefully. And then you've got those who are learning to be Christians and what becomes of them. You understand? So this book of Acts is is seriously, it's not just an account in history. It's like God already painted and wrote this, this, this marvelous story of salvation in the events of people's lives. And this account here is exactly that. This account is a picture of deliverance that belongs to every Christian. I'll show you what I mean. Verse three, it says, and because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now, it was during the days of unleavened bread. See, we go, we're told something here. What's the significance? Why are we told that it was during the days of unleavened bread? They weren't happy with Peter. He was doing wonderful work and, and healing people and they, they took him and they put him into prison and they wanted to basically judge him the next day, get rid of him because that's what we do. We don't believe in God. We want to get rid of him. Those who preach it or teach it or live it, let's get rid of him. And that's what they tried to do with Peter and this was happening during the days of unleavened bread. Very significant. Unleavened bread is basically bread that is pure. Bread that does not have any yeast. In the Bible, when you, when, you, when, you, when you look at this unleavened bread or this concept of yeast, yeast is a picture of sin. And, and the idea is, is that when you put sin among people, it grows. That's what, that's what yeast does to bread. So the bread that Jesus shows us, or even in the Old Testament, is this unleavened bread. The way it originated in the time of the Jews when they were escaping Egypt is that they didn't have time to put yeast in the bread because they had to get out. That's why they celebrate the, the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Because if they were waiting for the bread to rise, they're gone. The Egyptians slay them. So they had to escape with unleavened bread because they needed food. Got it? So this is the picture here, right here, that's being drawn for us. You don't have time to be in sin because sin's going to enslave you. When Christ sets you free, get out. You understand? Okay, so this is, this is where we are. Here is Peter. In the weeks, the days ahead, is the unleavened feast. So we, we, there's, there's a picture that's being drawn. What happens when we allow sin, when we allow uh, the bondage to enslave us? And Peter beautifully, Peter beautifully demonstrates for us, look at this. So when he had arrested, they put him in prison in those days of the unleavened bread and delivered him. 
he, put in, he was put in, and delivered him to four squads or four quarters of soldiers to keep him in, intending to bring him before the people. What that means is this. In a roundabout way, there was Peter and there was all around him four soldiers on different gates. Four different soldiers. I don't know, maybe I reckon there's about 16, 16 soldiers surrounding him. And he was right in the center. It's like how the devil enslaves you. He's not going to put one person and, you know, he's going to put a rock, a heavy rock, lest you resurrect and come out alive. Yeah, so he puts these, these, these soldiers around you to go, his, his soldiers, his, his spirits, his bondages, his temptations, everything. You're perfectly trapped. And if that's not enough, Peter was therefore kept in prison in verse 5, but constant prayer. This is why Jesus says, pray that you be delivered. Because only prayer is going to deliver you. Constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. That's us. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers. And the guards before the door were keeping the prison. So not only did he have the, you know, people around him, within his cell, he was bound with two chains and two soldiers. And even at the door, there was another person. This is how the devil ensnares us and traps us. It's, listen, deliverance is not a light thing. It's, it's not like that. It's not a, like an like a easy believism, I believe. It's not like that. It's a, a heart that believes as in sincere that God hears me. When I cry out to him, he'll deliver me. Because that's how we're trapped. You know, I tell people the greatest miracle was not the person who was healed from being blind or the lame. The greatest miracle is when a person's heart has been turned to Jesus. Because the ensnare, this, this, this body of mine is in a fallen state and my heart, my, the, the, the will is entrapped in this place. So anytime I can even cry out to the Lord is miraculous. That's why people, that don't understand salvation. That's why the Bible says today, today, if you hear his voice, there's an opening you want to hear his voice, don't harden your heart, receive him, receive him. And that's not just talking about salvation. That's talking about every area of your life. That's talking about when the Spirit of God speaks to you about something specific. Hate, jealousy, greed, lust. When God talks to you something specific, respond. Don't hold on to it. Don't keep it. Don't, keep it. don't think, I'll be okay one day. The devil doesn't let you go. That's the picture that we have here with Peter. Now, what happens to Peter. And Peter was therefore kept in prison, constant prayer by the church. In verse 6, he, had, he was sleeping. He was bound by two chains between two soldiers. And the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now, verse 7. Now, behold, listen. An angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he was struck, Peter, on the side, and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. A light sh shone. This is the conversion of the, of the Christian. The light appears. I once was blind, but now I see. But listen, he was struck. He was struck. He doesn't say he was, hey, psst, hey, get up. He was, he was like Paul thrown off a horse. He was struck. Why? Because for God to free you and set you free from your chains, sometimes he, 
he strikes you. That's not a bad thing, man. I would rather wake up knowing the deliverance of God than stay in prison. I'm not going to get upset with God. I'm not going to be angry that he, he chastised me. He's calling me out of my sin. And so sometimes God is going to smack you. Get up. And he says, quickly, don't linger like uh, Lot and his wife. You understand? There's a strike that happens. People don't like that strike. People always want to be told that God pats. God pats like you're a pet, like a puppy. But a true father hits. And so Peter, get up. Peter, get up quickly. Now look at these. Look at these beautiful pictures that, that occur here. Get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Was he free? We see a picture of salvation here, brothers and sisters. This is, this is a very interesting study. The chains fell off his hands, but was he free? He was walking around the cell, and he could do that all his life if he wanted to. Look at this. All his life. But was he free? Okay, Christians, listen. Jesus Christ comes, he smacks you and he says, get up. But that doesn't make you now free. Salvation is at work. There is the power of God. Now quickly take hold of this and get out. So when was he really free? Well, let's have a look. He goes, uh, quickly, and his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said, this is what you've got to do, Peter. Peter, listen, you've got to gird yourself and you've got to tie your sandals. You've got to make sure that there's no obstacles in the way that's going to trip you or make you fall. You've got to gird yourself, meaning lift up your skirt, bind it around your waist, and put your shoes on. Get ready to get out. But most of us, we don't get that far. <laughs> We're just happy to know that God forgives us. We're just happy to know that, you know, all the truths of God, but not the power of it. So get up, Peter, go. So gird yourself, tie it up so nothing trips. Whatever, whatever thorn or thistle's in the way, pave it, move it, get rid of it, because there's freedom about to happen for you. Put your shoes on because we're ready to walk. Now listen to what he says to him. Not only that, but he also says, and so he did. So Peter did that. And he said to him, Peter, put on your garment and follow me. (laughs) What garment? Put on the garment of Jesus Christ, his righteousness, and do what? Follow me. This is salvation in progress. We are moving out of this place of bondage and chains that the devil would not let go. Put it on. Put on the garment of righteousness. If you don't put on the garment of righteousness, the devil's always going to pound you. Walk holy and follow me. Because deliverance is about to take place. Imagine Peter said, oh, I can't put on my garment. I can't put on my shoes. What then? You know, Jesus healed a man once and he spat in his hand and face and he, and he goes, what do you see? He says, I see men as trees walking. If Jesus didn't leave him like that, he didn't heal a man to leave him half-sided, like not really you know, knowing what, what he can see. He completed his work. And so Christ says that, the Bible says that about us. It says, what he has begun in you, he will finish. When it's not finished, it's not because he's not able. When it's not finished, it's because you've decided to stay in your cell. You've, decided, you've actually grown comfortable with the chains around your ankle. They don't feel like iron anymore. They actually feel like nice pillows wrapped around your warm legs. 
And that's generally how the devil works. He keeps you comfortable in your sin. So you don't shed blood against it. Like Paul tells us. And his chains fell off his hands and the angel said to him, gird yourself, tie your sandals. And so he did and put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and he followed. Listen, and he followed. And he did not know what was done by the angel, if it was real or not. He thought he was seeing a vision. How wonderful the experience of conversion. I don't know what happened to me, man. I don't know how he did it, but he did it. I don't know. Like, what, how did you change? I don't know how I changed. All I know is that I trusted Jesus and I kept asking and I kept pushing and he did it. Sometimes I don't know how to counsel people anymore. Honestly, sometimes I don't know how to counsel people because I feel like they want little tips, little tricks, little things. And sometimes I don't know, man, I just got to believe. Just believe. If you believe, he will do. He goes, I don't know if it's a vision, not a vision. So he went out and followed him and did not know what was done by the angel, if it was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. And in verse 10, he says this, brothers and sisters, this is what I want you to listen to carefully. When they were past the first post and the second post, were they free? No. There was a first post that they would have to demonstrate their faith. He would have to show his faith. The first, the first challenge, the first obstacle, because at that gate there, right there, is another demon. Right there is another soldier. Right there is another obstacle. Were they free? If he got to the first post and said, I give up now, was he free? No. Okay, so he got past the first post. He got to the second post. Was he free then? No, because that's generally how it is for freedom. That's generally how it is to be free. So yeah, Christ's work, when did it begin? When did the salvation of God begin? It began right there at the heart, right at the center of bondage. But where does it end? Does it end at the first? No. Does it? No. Till, till look, look at the description here. I'm not making this stuff up, guys. This is written down for our edification. It's written down for our understanding. So when they got to the second post, they came to the iron gate. What is it? Uh, that's the last battle. That's the last fight. This is it. And generally, it's going to be iron. Or it's going to be a brick wall. Or it's going to be that impossible. And, and I, I, I think, I think 80 to 90% of Christians get to this wall and they start all over again. That's what happens. They start all over again. And God says, hey, this, this time's a little bit harder. Get up. And you keep going, first post, second post. Get to the iron gate. <sighs> Just when you're about to break through, the devil comes and he steals his truth. And, and, you about, yeah, and then you go back again. And most of us live our Christian life like that. And we talk about freedom. I'm, I'm, I'm saved. I'm saved. All we're doing is we're talking about the fact that I was once in, a, in, in this place here, and now I'm just in this place, but I'm still in a dungeon. You understand the freedom of Jesus Christ, the freedom of Jesus Christ. Christ does not negotiate with the devil on how much he can hold his people. Do you understand? He doesn't, that's, not, that's not how God is. 
God demands that he has all of his people, every one of them. Not one will get lost, and I want all their heart. You understand? This is the freedom that Christ offers us to all those who call upon the name of the Lord, who pray, Lord, deliver me from the evil one. Look what it says. It says, when I came to the iron gate that leads to the city, listen to this. This is the freedom of Jesus Christ. Which opened to them of its what? Praise God. Praise God. It opened up of its own accord. I want to ask you something. Who set them free? If they got to the iron gate and they weren't able to open it, were they still going to be free? Of course they were. Because God opened it up of its own accord. But what if before they got to the gate, was there a requirement for Peter to do certain things to get to the iron gate and then finally the salvation of God is poured out? Is that? Okay. So what do we call that? Do we call that a work salvation? Like if we said to Peter, Peter, don't put on your shoes, mate. You're free. Peter, don't put on your garment. You're saved. No, the Christian says, what are you talking about? I don't feel saved. It's still dark in here. <laughs> you know, I feel like I've got to do something. You do. You've got to get out of your sin. You've got to listen to God. You've got to push through. Is that work salvation? Well, call it what you want. But I know I've got to do something till I see the light. But I know that once I get to that, that place, a place where I can't do it, who does it for me? God. God. And there is salvation. That's salvation. That's salvation. So we don't say, oh, um, we don't have to do anything. Rubbish, you don't have to do anything. You got to put your shoes on, man. Gird yourself. Put the garment of righteousness and follow him. And he will do what he needs to do. This is how you're delivered from the evil one. When you heed the voice of God. My, my, my sheep hear my voice. The shepherd doesn't lead you to the foxes. He doesn't lead you to another trap or another fold where all the wolves are. He doesn't, they will hear my voice and I will take them to pastures green. They know me. They're mine. They don't belong to the devil. They're not ensnared and trapped by him. He will try and destroy them. But they'll know his voice isn't me. And they will follow me. That's my people. That's my people. All right, Ezekiel chapter 30. Ezekiel chapter 30, verse 20 to 22. Ezekiel chapter 30. See, we need, we need God to come and break those chains, those bondages. Ezekiel chapter 30, verse 20 to 22. And this is Ezekiel saying, And it came to pass in the eleventh year, in the first month, in the seventh day of the month, that the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, I have broken the arm of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, is the type of, of, of Lucifer, he's the devil. He goes, it's come to pass that I have broken his arm. Listen to this. And lo, it shall not be bound up to be healed. 
to put a roller to bind it, to make it strong, to hold the sword. He, he, he can't do that anymore. Verse 22, therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and will break his arms, the strong, that that which was broken and will cause the sword to fall out of his hand. Three things, three things. When, when the Lord Jesus Christ delivers you out of the hand of the evil one. Three things. The hand that holds is broken. The, the hand that holds you is broken. Unless, you, unless you, 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 you want it to hold you. But it's broken. The second thing. The hand that is broken cannot be healed. Do you understand that? You need to understand that by faith. That there is no more power over you. It can't be healed again to grab you when Jesus Christ sets you free because he who is set free is free in. And then finally, he's dropped the sword. The sword has been dropped. What that means is, where is your sting, O death? Where is the poking and the cut? I've been delivered from it. Where is, where is it now? What can you do to me? That Christ can't heal or restore. This is the deliverance of the enemy. And then finally, I'll finish with this. I kind of skimmed that through. As long as you understand the freedom that Christ offers. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 to verse 26, and I'll close with this verse. 2 Timothy chapter 2, 24 to 26. The servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to everyone, able to teach, patient, verse 25, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. And in verse 26 we read, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil having been taken captive by him to do his will. The prayer for the saints is that you would wake up. Wake up. Wake up and come to the senses that there's a devil that has ensnared you and has taken you captive, whether you realize it or not, to do his will. But you don't have to. If you come to your senses, right now, if God is knocking at the door of your heart and speaking to you, you, you wake up like the, like the prodigal son. He came to his senses and realized that, oh, I'm a, I can't keep feeding pigs all my life and eating their food. If you come to your senses this morning and you wake up and you realize that whatever bondage or sin you're in, the devil has taken you captive to do his will. I don't care much for righteous reasoning or, or religious thought that is good and, and, and positive. I don't care much for that. I care about that soul that's been regenerated, the heart, because you can have someone who's not regenerated and is taken captive by the devil, no matter how moral they are in their head, no matter what good thoughts they think they're thinking or counsel they think they're giving, they are taken captive by the devil to do whose will? The devil's will. So this is the message that Jesus Christ told us to pray. Deliver me from the evil one. Having said all, 
and I've prayed, I realize that there's a warfare and I need you to deliver me from it. For yours is the power, the dominion and the glory. Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer. The good news is this. Jesus Christ came to free you. That's the good news. To break those chains. Our Father, deliver me from the evil one. I don't want to be captured and captivated to do his will. I want to be set free. And he will set you free. You call upon the name of the Lord and believe in faith and you'll be set free. You don't have to question it and ponder it and sit back and analyze it. You come in faith. Do you believe I am able? Yes, I do, Lord. Then according to your faith, go, sin no more, be free.